Hello and welcome to the Monroe Method Clancast. I am Jason Monroe and this is episode 43. Now, today is my birthday. It's not really. It's actually almost a week after my birthday. I am just a bit behind with recording these podcasts. I'm a week behind now. Um, so yeah, let's pretend it's my birthday and let's pretend that it's still relevant and that I talk about the thing I'm going to talk about today. So I... Instagram's a funny thing. Like, social media is the world of short-form content. People don't want to watch long videos. People want videos to be... You know, 60 seconds is considered too long. Now, I've said this on here before that Instagram, you're limited to 2,000, in case you don't know, you're limited to 2,200 characters in a caption. You can post 10 slides of information. But if you overload these things with text, people don't look at them, right? So it's it's always got to be short and snappy and it makes it very difficult um, to get... I mean, you have to get good at getting points across by saying less. Uh, but I like to brain dump now and again, which is why I started doing this podcast, because it lets me go into more detail. Anyway, on my birthday last week on Friday, I posted uh, a carousel. If you don't know what a carousel is, those are the little things where they look well designed and you slide along and it's all very flowing and you can have up to 10 slides on it. That's a carousel. And it was said on the front, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out. So on the front it said, 38 things at 38. I've been wanting to do this for ages. And every year, for the last two years, I've been like, right, let's, let's do this. 36 things at 36. 37 things at 37. And I never did it because there was always other shit on. But I'm a lot more organised and focused on my content this year. So I bloody well did it. And... Essentially, it was, I posted 38 sentences. So this was like, my phone is filled. I'll tell you right now how many notes are in my notepad. Oh, it doesn't tell you how many. I don't know. Thousands? Over a thousand? Which, it's just, it, it all day, every day, like even when I'm in the shower, I'll have to stop and jump out the shower or reach out and grab my phone to type stuff in. Or if I'm out walking the dog, I'll just type in random sentences like, just take a chance on the other decision and see how it goes. Protein bar, expense. Oh my God, needed this. Like this is the kind of shit that I type in my phone and then go and make a post out of it later on. So what I did last week was went through these notes, not all of them, but a lot of them, and I picked out like 38 relevant highlights. So I am going to go through them all and just explain them in, in slightly more detail than the one-liners that I put on Instagram. Number one, giving up alcohol is the most incredible life hack of all time. People are always looking for life hacks. They're, they're always looking to find out what the best this is and what the best way to do this is. And they overlook the things that they could stop doing. Um, now, obviously, this isn't for everyone and you shouldn't give it up just because I'm saying it. You know, this was 38 things that I had written down that were thoughts in my head. Not about me, but but for me, that I might go back to at a later date and make content about. So, again, this is not for everyone. I'm not telling anyone to do this. 
because if you did, that wouldn't work. Somebody actually messaged me about this one um, and said, you know, the thing you wrote about alcohol, like, could you go into more detail about that? And I actually said no, um, which was, uh, I'm going to, I don't want to say it's unusual. It is unusual for me because I would always answer questions, but on this one, because of what they said afterwards, they were like, oh, I'm thinking about giving up alcohol, but I just want to know, like, your benefits. Now, it's a bit like weight loss. Like, if you are going to lose weight, you have to do it because you want to do it, because you want your life to improve or change in some way. You shouldn't lose weight because someone else did. You shouldn't give up alcohol because someone else did. If you're going to make such a big life decision, you need to have your own concrete reasons for doing it, right? So this is, on. The, I won't talk as much about the rest of them, but just to expand on this one. I gave up, I gave up alcohol almost 11 months ago. I think I'm a week and a bit away from 11 months ago. I'll probably record a podcast episode when I reach a year of sobriety. My business, my personal life, my family life, my home life, my fitness, my health, my mental health, physical health, everything has improved. Like my business has... Monroe Nutrition has moved farther forward in the last 11 months than it has in the last six years. My relationships at home have improved more than ever. I'm spending more time with my kids. I'm more engaged. I'm more present. I won't bore you with the details, but like I said, we're always looking for hacks and tips and tricks and, you know, how can we do this and how can we do that? Looking for these tiny little ways to, like, get more out of life when many of us are overlooking the biggest life hack we could possibly implement and that's removing something like alcohol from our life. Number two, look for a reason not to do something and you will succeed 100% of the time. I can't remember who said this one, but this this was one I wrote down back in 2018, easily way back then. There was a woman I followed at the time who said it. She probably got it for somewhere else. Um, but yeah, look for a reason not to do something. Look for a reason to talk yourself out of doing something, and you will succeed 100% of the time. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for a walk. Oh, but it's raining. Can't go. So yeah. Look for fewer reasons not to do things. Learn to judge your choices and actions by cost, not reward. And this will help you make much better decisions. So I spoke about this one recently with um, our members. Where many many of our decisions come from the pursuit of pleasure, right? What's in it for me, basically? What am I going to get out of this choice? So if I eat this thing, it's going to taste nice and it will be a nice experience. Or I'm going to have a drink because it will be fun and all the rest of it. We were too quick to make these choices by focusing on the what's in it for me part rather than the eventual outcome of the decision. So this isn't to stop this isn't to stop you from making decisions, it's to help you make better decisions more frequently. So for example, if you order a takeaway three nights every week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you're trying to reduce that, 
then you might want to focus on the costs of those decisions more than the rewards. And that might help you take that down to twice a week or once a week or once a fortnight. So learn to judge your choices and actions by cost, not reward. And this will help you make better decisions. Spend more time considering the costs. Surround yourself with people that support you, build you up and bring positivity to your day. Remove people who bring you down, knock your confidence and inflict negativity on you. Self-explanatory. Keep your circle small. Five close friends will help you get farther in life than a hundred acquaintances will. Five close friends care much more than acquaintances do. Cultivate your timeline. You wouldn't just let anyone into your life. Don't do it on social media. Makes sense, right? Um, if the first thing you do in the morning, and it is for many people, is swipe your phone, open Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it is, and start exposing yourself to dozens of other people's lives. That's pretty much how your day is going to go. Like, how do you feel about the things that you see? I had someone comment on one of my posts recently, like, oh, fucking, you keep banging on about this method. Just fucking tell us about it already if it's so fucking great. Or words to that effect. And it just made me think, like, God, there are people who are like this person following people that, and it was someone that's followed me, by the way. This wasn't just a random person. They were literally one of my followers who's read various posts and got managed to get themselves so angry that they reached a point where they had to leave that <laughs> that comment. Um, if you are doing that, if you are following people that annoy you, if you're following people that you shake your head at, if you are following people that make you feel physically angry, fuck me, remove them. It makes no sense to be following people that that... They don't make you feel anything, but you feel like that about them. Number seven, your relationship with food is no different to any other relationship in life. So relationships are things that we work on for our whole lives. Your relationship with your husband, your wife, your kids, your extended family, your friends, your close friends. Like These relationships, they don't just happen. They don't just manage themselves. You know, you have to plan to go on date nights with your partner. You have to plan days out with your kids. You have to spend time with your kids. You have to listen to them and talk to them about their day. You have to set plans and organize to meet friends. You know, these things take work and effort. And your relationship with food is no different to any of these. Like a relationship with food takes effort and it takes work. Because life is not linear. You might, well, right now it's the school holidays. You, you know, if you don't think about it, your eating habits might slip in a certain direction because of a lack of routine, because kids are at home and you're spinning too many plates trying to work from home and look after them and get rid of the mum and dad guilt, which is what I've been going through at the moment. And that might then influence your eating and you you lose sight of that. So your relationship with food is something to be mindful of the same way as any other relationship in life. Number eight, your dog is not a weight loss aid. How often you walk them should be independent of your diet plan. This pisses me off. And not many things do. But 
you know, hearing people say, oh, I'm going to get more steps and I'm going to walk the dog more. It really, I like to, I like to work to the assumption that the, these dogs are already getting walked enough, but I know there are going to be occasions where some people do not walk their dogs and their dog, you know, how often these dogs or how, how often and how far their dogs get walked is dependent on how seriously someone is taking their weight. Number nine, if your weight can go up unintentionally, it can come down unintentionally. Focus less on doing things to make it go down and more on changing the things that make it go up. Nobody sets out to intentionally gain weight. It just happens as a result of your choices, your lifestyle, your mindset, your habits. Unintent, you know, nobody sets out with the intention of deliberately tracking a higher number of calories to make themselves gain body fat. And yet, when we do it in the opposite direction, that's how we go about it. If your weight can go up unintentionally because of your habits, behaviours, lifestyle, etc., then it makes sense that if you make changes to the things that make it go up, you can make it go in the opposite direction. Number 10, if you want to succeed, you need to give up what other people's version of... No, sorry, I've misread that. You need to give up others, other people's version of success. What success looks like to others may be different for you. So I used to be guilty of this when it comes to running Monroe, seeing the way that other people ran their businesses or what success looked like to them. Soon realised that that was not going to be the same for me because I've got different circumstances and all the rest of it. Plus all these people that appear to be successful, most of them aren't here anymore. And I still am. If a strong wind blows a ship off course, do they just say fuck it and keep going in the wrong direction? The sooner you correct your course, the better. Number 12, five steps forward and two steps back are still three steps in the right direction. Traje trajectory trumps speed. It's very easy to get bogged down in a negative mindset when things aren't going to plan. And that can have you looking at things in a negative light. I guess that's one of the biggest benefits of having a coach, actually, because, you know, if, if you have one bad day, it's very easy to look back at the week as a whole and, you know, decide that you're having a bad week when the reality is everything's fine. Nothing has changed. You're just going through, you know, a brief moment in time. Number 13, if you give up on your diet after a few days because you're not seeing progress, it's a good idea. You have other issues to work through first. 14. You will never have a positive experience eating a food you believe to be bad. Removing the labels removes the guilt. We've spoke about this in other episodes around relationship with food. Removing all labeling, positive and negative, will you allow you to enjoy food a lot more and help you improve your relationship with food. 15. Stop saying you're a work in progress. You are and always will be. To think otherwise is silly. I read this comment almost every day inside uh, our coaching group where people will, you know, uh, I'm working on this, but it's a work in progress. I'm trying to balance my diet, but it's a work in progress. Uh, in my opinion, because that's all, all of this is, but in my opinion, like people need to let go of this, this idea that 
you will ever be anything other than a work in progress. Like, at which point do you stop saying you're a work in progress? Think of it from that direction. Think of it from that angle. At which point, like, what will it take for you to stop saying you're a work in progress? Because we can always get better. We can always improve. We can always do more. When, when does it stop? It's, it's a throwaway statement. And it creates this idea that, you know, you're, you're only working on something temporarily because you're going to have a, com- a completion date. Like, wh- when is the completion date? At which point do you say that you are a runner or you've ran fast enough or farther enough or done enough miles? You know, at which point do you say that you have completed your diet and now you've got some incredibly balanced diet? Like, these things don't have any completion date. Again, life isn't linear and... Things like your balance of diet, exercise, these things will all fluctuate. Again, like your relationship with food, things that you'll work on your whole life. 16. Treat your weekly food shop the same way you do buying alcohol. When did you last forget, quote unquote, to buy wine for the weekend? I used to have a client who always forgot to do the weekly food shop. Just forgot. However, one thing she never forgot was to buy, it was wine and gin that she drank. And it's not that people forget, it's that, like, it's the same with anything. Anything that we don't do is because it, it, what, the amount of time and effort that we had available to us, it didn't fit in. So let's say you have 20 things on your to-do list, the food shop is number 16, you know, and you've you've got enough time, effort and energy to do 15 of them. I hope I said 16. Yeah, I think I did. You know, it's not that you forgot to do the food shop. It's that everything else that you placed higher above that is what you did. Because you don't place any value on making sure you, you know, in this instance, she was ordering a lot of takeaways. And the one of the the basic things we were focusing on was planning her weekly food shop. You know, there was a week where I was like, the only thing I want you to do this week is go to the supermarket and get a food shop in. Write a menu for seven days. And I only said dinners. I went, just write down your dinners for seven days. Write a shopping list and go to the supermarket at the weekend when you have time. She worked Monday to Friday. She didn't have kids. The weekends were hers. And she didn't manage it. But... She did manage to go and get wine and gin and whatever else from a smaller local shop. So again, it's it comes down to what what uh, what level of priority the person places on it. So the point of that was treat your weekly food shop the same way you do things that you never forget to do. Treat your weekly food shop the same way you do keeping your phone charged, making sure your makeup's done before you leave the house making sure you have a coffee in the morning, like things that you do every day or that you wouldn't leave the house without doing, put it up there alongside it in one of the top spots. 17, before you say, I don't have time, look at your screen time. Enough said there. 18, ignoring your emotions is like ignoring your engine management light on your car, in case you don't know what that is. The longer you do it, the more it will cost you later. Basically, the longer you ignore that horrible orange light that comes up on your dashboard, 
the more you turn the radio up and try to drown out the noise your car's making, the worse it's going to get when you do eventually have to, when you're forced to go to the garage because the car does not go anymore. And it's kind of what we do with our emotions, right? You know, we're not feeling good or we're feeling stressed or we're upset or whatever it is. And, you know, rather than lean into it and understand it and work on it, we try to ignore it. We gloss over it. We eat instead. We snack. We reach for chocolate. We order takeaways. We might use alcohol. But... (laughs) Ultimately, we'll do anything we can to avoid our emotions. But the longer you do it, the more it's going to hurt later on. 19. Bad days are just as important as good days for growth. Bad days will always be bad days if that's how you view them. Um, I think a good example of this is that I do a lot of check-ins with people who feel like their check-in isn't good enough. Now, that's that's their thoughts. Every single check-in I do with a client is brilliant. I love every single one because that's part of my job, right? It's, I'm, I'm not there to judge how good someone's check-in is. That's, that's not part of the job. Every single one is a good one because every single one tells you something new about that person and it's something new to focus on and work on. If people only checked in when things were going well, then how the fuck are you supposed to help them when things aren't going so well? So at my end, you know, I don't want to just sit and tell people, wow, you're doing great. I don't have to help you very much. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's boring. I mean, if someone gets to that place, then it's a great place to be, provided that they're also checking in when things aren't going well. Um, But from my end, every single check-in is a good check-in. So... And bringing it back to the bad days, like the way I look at things, I used to think this, like, oh, I'm having a bad work day today because this, this and this. But now it's like every day is a good day. Yes, some days have more challenges than others. And that's great because the more challenges there are, the more I can grow, the more I can improve, the better I can get. So that future challenging, challenging days become less challenging. Number 20, it's not your weight that needs to change. It's you. You're wasting your time if you try to change your weight without changing yourself first. And that is pretty much like the Monroe Method in a nutshell, where you'll see it in my content. I talk about it all the time. I've actually just created a post to go out this weekend that's a plaster over a crack saying, um, I can't remember, but like when, when you try to change your weight without changing anything about the reasons you gained weight in the first place, something like that. Something I quickly realized when I started doing this back in 2018 is that one of the main reasons people are unsuccessful with weight loss is because they focus on the wrong thing. Oh, they, they, they approach dieting from the angle of, I am going to do this list of things to change my weight and then that's it. So, temporarily following a a list of rules, getting a result on the scale, changing nothing about themselves, and then what? You go back to normal, the same normal that led you to gain weight in the first place, and that's how the yo-yo diet cycle continues. 22. Successful dieters are just unsuccessful dieters who kept going. Don't read too much into that, but it basically means exactly what it says, right? 
until you have successfully lost weight, you have unsuccessfully lost weight. And the successful people were unsuccessful people that kept going. 23. Self-sabotage allows someone to predict the future, which helps them create the illusion of control. So I've been talking about this a lot with clients, actually. The whole out of control idea, right? We are never, unless you have a diagnosed eating disorder of which a complete loss of control is one of the one of the criteria for that. So something like binge eating disorder, one of the criteria for diagnosing that is when someone experiences a complete loss of control around food. Uh, aside from that, you are always 100% in control of your food choices. The reason that we say things like being out of control, it's when we do something that we can't understand. So afterwards, when you're looking back on something you've done, your logical brain says, you know, why did you do that? You, why did you eat? A ridiculous example, but why did you just eat 24 packets of crisps in that multi-pack like that doesn't make any sense that's not something you wanted to do but you did it so you were still fully in control of the behavior the problem is you can't understand why you did it so control something i've been talking about and thinking about quite a lot recently and the whole self-sabotage thing this this can often happen when someone feels like they don't have control over a situation or something's, something has happened that's been outside of their control. So maybe they've went to make dinner and the chicken's been off. They've opened the chicken packet and it smelled not good. So their, their dinner plans went out the window, which meant they had to find a backup. And they weren't particularly happy about that. But it was out of their control because they didn't have anything else. And so they then did something else after that, in an effort to create this illusion of control. So I can't control that, but I can damn well control this. 24. Self-care isn't selfish. Sure. So yeah, I talk about this one a lot with a client recently as well. Self-care isn't selfish. Show your loved ones how much you care for them by showing them how much you care for yourself. I have a client who feels guilty for taking time for herself. And that then leads to many negative health habits, negative health habits and behaviours. And this is one I talk about so much, like trying to get this point across that the if you do not take care of yourself, so it, it happens very often when, when people have dependents, whether that be elderly relatives or uh, disabled family members or kids or a husband if you're someone that has to do lots of things for a partner or wife um it's very easy to put these people first work work was the other one i was trying to think of there right you can put everything else before your needs now all that does is yes everyone else gets looked after but they're being looked after by let's say, a 50% version of you. Now, this is why I I used to not take care of myself. When I first started doing what I do, I used to treat myself like shit. 
you know, I made sure, you know, food was on the table, food shops were done, kids were fed, school runs, nursery runs, housework, everything else was, business was looked after, clients was look, were looked after, finances were stable. Like, I used to prioritise all of that stuff first because that's what I thought was important. And all that meant was by 2020, after running a business for two years, I had a massive breakdown and had to take myself to therapy. So... I reached that point of, I don't want to say rock bottom because I could probably have went a bit lower than I was, but I was at a very low point and it was because I wasn't taking care of myself. Now, my needs, my own needs are my number one priority and many people think of that as selfishness. But here's the thing, if my kids are now getting, I don't, I don't do perfection, so let's not say 100%. So if my kids, my clients, my wife, my work, like if everything else is now getting a 99% version of me instead of a 50% version of me, is it really selfish to take care of yourself as a priority? No, it's not. Self-care is a selfless act. And like I said in this, this thing on this post, Show your loved ones how much you care for them by showing them how much you care for yourself, which I think is a really nice way to look at it. 25. If you want to extend your weekend by 12 hours, spend less time planning your Saturday nights and more time planning your Sunday mornings. This kind of links back to me giving up alcohol. um, When I first did it, I didn't really tell anyone about it. And I kept it pretty quiet. So that was like September, October, November. I think December I maybe started talking about it. Definitely started talking about it in New Year. And then January I got asked to speak at a sobriety event. And a question I was asked was like, you know, do you have any tips for someone who is just starting out on their sobriety journey? Now this is different to what I said earlier on. This was someone that had already made their decision. Um... And they were just looking for advice from someone who had been doing it a little bit longer of things that might have helped helped them, which I feel differently about. So, you know, the, the first, if anyone ever asked me this, this is what I say to them, you know, stop planning your Saturday nights, start planning your Sunday mornings. I consistently for almost a year now, for the best part of 11 months, I wake up on a Sunday morning as early as I normally do, I'm a 5, 6 a.m. person. At the weekends now as well, the alcohol's not been a part of my life. And on Sunday mornings, I go out with a dog and all I think about is I just have so much gratitude for the decision that I've made. Sundays are the day when I feel it the most and when I think about it the most and I'll talk about it on my stories, I'll message um my, I don't want to say my sobriety coach because she didn't actually, we weren't working one-to-one together. I, I bought her guide a few months after I gave up alcohol because I wanted to explore my relationship with alcohol and further understand why I was making this decision, why it was the right one and all the rest of it. So yeah, that's that's my piece of advice. Like if you want to extend your weekend by 12 hours, spend less time planning your Saturday nights, as in less time getting pissed and sleeping all Sunday and rolling about on the couch feeling like crap 
Spend more time planning your Sunday mornings. Have a reason to get out of bed. Have a reason not to fill a sat. By no means does it mean give up alcohol. It just means that Saturday nights don't always have to be alcohol orientated. You can plan your Sunday mornings instead and give yourself a reason to get up and out of bed a little bit earlier. We're almost there. 26. The thing you find hard... Sorry, the things... Oh, that's a typo. Damn. The things you find hard are your fastest route to improvement. Do those first. There's a book by Ryan Holiday. Ryan Halliday? Ryan Halliday. Is it Ryan Holiday? I think it's Ryan Halliday. He's the guy that writes the um, Daily Stoic book. Uh, there's a, one of his other books is uh, The Obstacle is the Way. So I talk about this a lot with clients who they'll do their first couple of weeks of tracking, we'll come back and do their first check-in and we'll run through it all and be like, oh God, I'm really struggling with fibre. Fantastic. Like it's great to have something that you're struggling at because this thing that is very absent from your diet is going to be the path to your success. So if someone's fibre is very low, it's because they don't eat fruits and vegetables. And because, you know, if I look at someone's nutrition and I can see, you know, their, their protein's great, their activity's great, everything else is fine, but here is this big gaping hole, which is one of the reasons that you feel like crap, because you don't eat any fruits and vegetables. It's one of the reasons that you're over-consuming, because fibre is a filling nutrient, so foods that contain fibre are filling, um, and they promote satiety, meaning, you know, a diet rich in protein and fibre will mean that meal, meals carry you for, between meals, rather than you know, I, I feel full now, but in an hour, I'm hungry again. So it's like, you know, this thing that you're finding most challenging, I want you to put all of your attention on that because this is going to be your fastest path to improvement. People can often set themselves goals that are easy. So for example, someone might already be a super active person doing 18k steps a day. So they set a goal of doing 20k. Like it's not exactly a drastic change. It's just a little bit more of something you're already doing. If someone's eating absolutely no fruits and vegetables at all, bringing those into their diet as, as a new thing and building consistency around them, that's, that's going to help someone make huge progress. 27. Making change is never a 50-50 decision. It's more a 70-30 decision biased towards staying the same. Dig deep to find that first 20% to make it a fair fight. I should have said to level out the playing field. I don't like the word fight. I wonder why I said that. What this means is, so we are naturally biased towards staying the same. Staying the same is easy. Staying the same requires no effort. Everything that you're doing at the moment, you're already doing. It doesn't take effort to not walk very far. It doesn't take effort to not exercise. It doesn't take effort to sit on a couch and watch Netflix, right? It's easy to stay the same. Change is difficult. Change is uncomfortable. So when we think of making decisions, you know, it's not as simple as to do or not do. Tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym, right? It's not a 50-50 choice between doing the thing or not doing the thing. It's a 70-30 choice because the 70% is not doing it because that's the easy part, right? Not having to go, not having to get dressed for it, not having to pack a bag, not having to think about what time you're going to eat so you're not sick at the gym, childcare, all the rest of it. 
the thirty percent is in the opposite direction. So it's it's never a fifty fifty choice. It's seventy thirty, and it's something to be aware of. Um, you need to find that twenty percent first to make it a fair fight. Meaning, create some value around the choice. So if it is the gym. Don't just say you're going to go to the gym. Understand why you want to go to the gym. I want to go to the gym because I want to be fit and strong and I'm thinking about later life and I don't want my muscles to waste away and I want to be able to carry my own shopping into the house and all that stuff. 28. Say I'll try when you want to shrug responsibility. Say I will when you want to take responsibility. Inside the Monroe Method, I'm a stickler for language. Um, especially, like, here's a great example. So, in, in the check-in templates, there's a question in there that's like, it's not a question, it's more a statement. Like, state your intentions for the next fortnight. And someone will say, oh, I am going to maybe try and plan to maybe do something, right? And it's the most non-committal waffle ever. And the reason we do that is to give ourselves an out, right? So if I say, if I say I am going to go for a run tomorrow, I will either do it or I won't. And then if I don't do it, I have to take responsibility for that decision because I said I was going to do it. If I say I'm going to try and go for a run tomorrow and I don't do it, that's much easier to take because I never said I was going to do it. I just said I was going to try. So if someone does talk to me like that in the group or in their check-in, I will pick up on it and say, you know, are you going to do this thing or not? You don't sound like you want to do it. And I will encourage them. I was going to say make them. I will strongly encourage them to be decisive. Are you going to do it or are you not? Let's not pretend you're going to do it. Do you want to do this thing or not? Just choose either way. doesn't make any difference to me. I just want to help the person make better decisions. 29. If you have to overeat at mealtimes to stay full, you need to review what you're eating. Quality beats quantity. So that comes back to the one that I said about uh, the thing you find hardest is your fastest route to improvement. Uh, If you're having to overeat to stay full, there's a problem with the quality of your diet, right? It's lacking protein and fiber. You need to focus on the quantity and that will help you reduce the quality and that will help you manage your weight. 30. Don't double up at the next meal if you miss a meal. Hmm, could have said that better. Instead, focus on eating a regular portion slowly. If you allow hunger to dictate speed, you'll overeat. If you miss your breakfast or if you skip your breakfast because you're busy with work or whatever, you do not need to double up at your next meal time. One of the biggest reasons that people have problems with their weight is that they don't not eat often enough. So we live in a world where many people believe you're supposed to eat at every mealtime. You're not supposed to miss a meal, but then they'll also overeat on top of that. So they'll eat when they're hungry. They'll eat when they're not hungry. And when you fall into that pattern, at which point are you not eating? At which point are you under eating to achieve weight maintenance? If you miss a meal, brilliant. Most people aren't doing enough of that. Don't then go adding it on to the next meal. What you might need to do because you're experiencing a higher level of hunger is just slow down and pause and approach that meal with a little more care and a little more mindfulness. You will still fill up on the same amount of food. It will not feel like you've missed a meal that day, 
but if you eat very quickly and the food goes down very quickly, you'll be looking for more. You're more likely to overeat. So just be mindful. If you miss a meal, the thing you should be focusing on at the next one is slowing down. 31. Your body is the most accurate food diary you will ever keep. Your weight will always do what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it based on what you do. That was very long-winded. But the point is, a lot of the time when I do check-ins, someone might have been tracking for six weeks. Their tracking will look fantastic, but their weight is going nowhere. The most accurate part of that equation over a six-week period is what their weight is doing. I wouldn't take too much from the scales over a week, not even a fortnight. But when we have six weeks of uh, data to look over, we can definitely take more from the scales. And in that instance, I could then say, look, your weight's not doing what it's supposed to do, right? Your, Your tracking shows that you should be losing weight. You're not losing weight. The not losing weight part is the accurate part, which means there's a problem with your tracking. So your tracking shows fat loss, your weight shows maintenance, therefore your consumption is closer to maintenance. So your body, it doesn't matter if you're putting 1200 calories a day into MyFitnessPal, if your weight isn't going down, you're probably having more than 1200 calories. 32. Stop saying you're maintaining a loss. It creates the idea that your start weight is where you're supposed to be and you're fighting not to go back there. I know that it's a big achievement to lose weight, especially if you lose a significant amount of weight, but once you've done it, you need to let it go. You are not maintaining a loss and I cannot stress enough how unhelpful this mindset and this terminology is because I see it on Instagram quite a lot because obviously many weight loss accounts follow me um, and I'll see things pop up and look at people's profiles and you know, you'll know you see things like maintaining a 50 pound loss. Now that sounds great but like I just said it creates this idea that this person is trying to maintain a 50 pound distance between where they are and where they are. And you you then start approaching your weight from the angle that you're trying to stop yourself from going back there. So it becomes this restrictive, this negative restrictive thing where I don't want to go back to that weight. So I need to make sure I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Instead, say that you are maintaining your weight. That's all. I am. I'm not maintaining a 50 pound loss. Yes, I lost 50 pounds to get here because that's where I was. But now... I'm maintaining this weight. So I am positively maintaining my current weight, not negatively trying to stop myself from going backwards 50 pounds. When you start thinking and talking like that differently, you'll find weight maintenance much easier. 33, if you think trying is risky, wait till you suffer the consequences of not trying. I talk to countless people who are afraid of failure. I really want to sign up. I really want to work with you, but I'm scared I'll fail. Like, I don't try and convince those people to come and work with me because, well, number one, they're probably going to be very difficult to work with. If, if there's someone that doesn't do things because they're scared, then how, how difficult is it going to be to then get them to do more new things when you're working with them? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't go to great lengths to try and encourage these people to join. They will join in their own time. 
and I just leave them to it. You know, keep reading the emails, keep watching my posts, keep watching the videos. Maybe one day you'll get over that fear. Uh, and what I don't want is for it to reach a point where, like, for example, I had a client, Pete, who was, uh, who received a, a diagnosis. You know, the doctor says you are six months away from developing type 2 diabetes. He was pre-diabetes. That was his turning point, right? That was his, he almost got to the point of suffering the consequences. And that's what made him follow through. 34, it's not that you don't know what to do. It's that you don't know how to do it consistently. Everyone knows how to lose weight, right? Everyone has at least a vague idea that if I want to lose weight, I need to eat less, right? Which is the basic principle. It's not always like that. The problem isn't that people don't know that that's what they need to do. It's that they don't know how to do it consistently. So, for example, if you burn 2,000 calories a day and you have a very nutritionally poor diet and it takes you 2,500 calories to satisfy your needs every day, then you're going to consistently gain weight. So how do you then eat less when it already when you need more to get by? So, yeah, it's, it's about learning how to do something consistently and what the combination of things you specifically need to change to allow you to do that. 35, a diet will help you change your weight, but it won't help you with your disordered eating. Too many people use weight loss diets to try and solve all their eating problems and it, it doesn't work. 36, knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing. Quite a popular quote, self-explanatory. If you already know what you should be doing and you're not doing it, you'd be as well not knowing. You don't need to trust the process. You need to understand how the process works so trust doesn't come into it. Another thing I pick up on a lot, you know, I'm trying to trust the process or I want to trust the process or I just need to trust the process. It's like, no, you, you don't need to trust the process. You need to understand how the process works. You need to understand that you have a human body that is no different to any other human body and weight loss works in you the same way it works in anyone else. Do the things, understand the process, trust then doesn't need to come into it. 38, the final one, stop building a weight loss mindset. You won't need it once you've lost weight. Instead, focus on building a maintenance mindset because you'll need that one forever. People often talk about you know, building weight loss habits and building a weight loss mindset and all this stuff. And the, the thing is, uh, under normal circumstances, that's not the right thing to say. People get weight loss wrong, right? They spend most of their lives losing weight and almost none of it maintaining their weight. They just live in this world of losing and gaining, losing and gaining. Weight loss should be the shortest part of a weight loss journey. So uh, this happened to me. Um, I spent, I don't know, when did I start caring about my weight? 19, I think I joined the gym for the first time with my friend. So from the ages of 19 to 31, I spent most of my time losing and gaining weight and none of that time maintaining my weight. I yo-yo dieted, right? I did things to lose. I went back to normal. That was what I did for... 12 years say. From 2017 onwards, so yeah, for six, six and a bit years now, I have maintained 
my weight. But I went through a period of like six months of losing weight for the last time. And since then, it's been about maintenance. The weight loss part should be the shortest part of any journey, right? It might take you six months. It might take you a year. It might take you two years. But even two years is nothing in the span of your entire adult life. The problem is people will spend 40 years losing and gaining weight and absolutely no time maintaining. We shouldn't need to build a weight loss mindset. Weight loss, we don't need a whole mindset to go with it. Once we've used it, we get rid of it and we focus on maintenance. Spend more time building a maintenance mindset because you are going to use that your whole life. That's pretty much what we do inside the Monroe Method when I think about it. We're in, you know, every, when I do people's check-ins, I read everything they say, I listen to everything they say, I look at what they're doing, and I'm always projecting it into the future. If if this person holds on to this behavior, if they hold on to this thought, if they keep talking like this, how will that serve them two, three, six, ten years down the line? Is this going to support them at weight maintenance, or is this the type of thing that would be likely to slow them down or hold them back? And if it is, then we address it and work on it because we're always working on basically helping someone build a maintenance mindset so that when they lose the weight they want to lose, when they get to the place they want to be, there's no changing, there's no reverting, there's no drastic anything. It's just a transition from doing what they've been doing to having a little more freedom and being more relaxed. You know, they don't change the way they eat. They don't change the balance of their diet. They just have the freedom with extra calories now that they're at maintenance. Fuck me. What was that? 50 bloody minutes. If you've made it to the end of this one, I take my hat off to you. Um, I genuinely thought I was going to rattle through this in like 20 minutes, but never mind. <laughs> I hope that's been helpful. It's nice to be able to expand on these things. I'll get out of your way now. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you again next time.